0: The term structural violence sounds a bit extreme in the context of social justice at work, doesn't it? it? Brings up images of physical conflict and damage. But we tend not to think about the subtle acts that we individually and as an organisation can do, mostly subconsciously, that can cause just as much damage. Subtle acts such as expecting a certain accent or a certain way of speaking and responding pejoratively to that, or having policies and procedures that don't take account of someone's caring responsibilities or someone's faith requirements, and expecting them to comply with those policies and procedures, because that's how our organisation operates. These are the kinds of things that we mean when we talk about structural violence and social justice at work. In this episode of the Privilege Eruption podcast, we explore the root cause of structural violence in the workplace. We provide some examples and look at how you can take measures to reduce or even eliminate it. Welcome to the Privilege Eruption podcast. This is a podcast by Belonging Pioneers and Culture Lab Consultancy about the questions and ideas around the hidden barriers to achieving our diversity, equity And inclusion goals. This is where we erupt the constraining impact of privilege and explore how possibilities in the context of shared power and purpose can be achieved. If you are getting value from our podcasts, remember please do take a moment to rate our show. You can do that on Apple Podcasts or on Spotify, on YouTube, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. We would really appreciate that. It makes a big difference for us. Also, we want to learn and grow with you, so please send us your thoughts or your questions, your reflections, reach out to our team using the link in the description and tell us what you like or dislike or what you'd like to see more of in our podcast episodes. Today we're joined in this podcast by Maria Arpa from the Centre for Peaceful Solutions. Maria brings lived experience of having been impacted by structural violence in life and also at work. Having worked through the challenges faced by being an immigrant family given housing that was unfit for habitation, she went on to set up and run a highly successful business, having had a career in marketing and advertising. Maria also believes in giving back, so she gave back as a Samaritan volunteer and a counselor, a Reiki master, a mediator, and the chief executive of a community mediation service. Through this journey, Maria came to understand how conflict is at the heart of destructive behavior and that with a change in attitude towards it, conflict could be the source of positive change. Maria chose to devote her life to sharing this learning with people who've got fewer options in life in order that she could help them realize their own capacity to contribute to their own well-being and to their community. In this episode, Maria shares with us her journey and how she can work with different organizations, including prisons, to reduce and in some cases eliminate structural violence in the workplace and achieve social justice. So please join us in um, enjoying this episode in learning from it and sharing what you learn with the people in your organization. Welcome to the Privilege Eruption podcast with me, Ishreen Bradley, Chief Inspiration Officer at Belonging Pioneers.
1: And me, Kami Nuttall, founder of Culture Lab Consultancy.
0: Privilege is a conundrum that dilutes the culture of fairness at work. And as a leader, you recognize that your organization has more to do.
1: You want to create success through connection and belonging and you're unsure about how to make it happen. Now, the
0: Privilege Eruption podcast is where you have the opportunity to evolve breakthrough thinking about the impact of power, privilege and purpose and how that shows up at work.
1: And in these podcasts, you will gain the courage and confidence to realise a culture of inclusion for all. I've heard... um,
0: in the news recently, you know, there's so much talk about Prince Harry and his book recently, and I've heard two points of view on that. One is that, well, he's so privileged, so he does, and he should appreciate that. And the other is actually the personal trauma that he faced um, in losing his mother. So it it doesn't I. I think this whole structural violence thing is not related to where you are in the social hierarchy. I think there are different kinds of privilege. You know, the best privilege I am guessing would be if you have loving parents and good health.
1: Yes. Positive, isn't it? It's the positive of,
2: of, of that experience. I, um, you know, I've worked with people, you know, in privileged education systems and all the rest of it. And one of the things that you realise is the amount of neglect that the children suffer. That's right. Huge.
0: That's right. And we, um, in our last series, we interviewed Desmond Baring, who pretty much shared that story and how that experience of being almost abandoned in boarding school. Mm. Mm. his mental health, and and he's now helping other men who've had to deal with that.
2: I've, you know, put a huge amount of my life into studying this stuff and living it and processing it and being on the front line. And I want to carry that information to people for whom it's not even on their radar. It's you know, so when I go into prison and I sit with people who've done very harmful things, it's not been on their radar that maybe there's a context to how they did what they did and where they came from and what that because nobody's ever thought of that as a possibility. I mean, we mm. are getting better at trauma-informed work, but sure. for me to bring all that learning and transform lives, you mm. know, that's where it sits for me.
0: Marie, I think our listeners would love to hear about some of that work you've been doing in prisons.
2: Yeah, so um, uh, what's been interesting for me is going into um, Dartmoor Prison was the prison that, um, you know, I was looking around for a prison that kind of understood that it's not about delivering things to the people and the system just carries on. It's about how does the system accommodate this work and how does yeah. it become more flexible? And um, Dartmoor Prison was the prison that where the senior management team really understood. I mean, we spent a good nine months negotiating about, I'm like, are you sure you want this? Because, you know, my, my version of restorative justice is pretty radical, you know. Um, and... Uh, and they were and the prison really did change the system and adapt and review and look at and then adapt again to what we were offering. But we train prisoners to to the standard of you know my work to be able to facilitate um and mediate for prisoners who are struggling in the system. And the mm. premise was. If you have um, 100, uh, 100 staff and you have 600 prisoners, and this could be in an organisation, if you've got 10 board members but you've got a 1,000 employees, it doesn't matter, and you put all the responsibility for safety into the hands of the 100, you're going to have to use much more force than is necessary. Because if the 600 who outnumber you think that they have no responsibility for safety, well, they're just going to let you do your job. So um, so the premise was what happens if we could put some responsibility for safety into the larger group using mm. a human process, using a heart-driven process, using a trauma-informed process? And so um, – These guys actually work with other prisoners that are struggling. Now, this relates to our earlier point about mediation, because what they've been doing is where they're catching things much earlier and people are asking for help Mm. because they're more trusting to tell their personal stuff to another prisoner than they would be to the system, right? Mm. And the need for mediation is falling and falling and falling because we're not creating these individual pressure cookers yeah that are going off so um what interests me about that is how
0: i imagine these people are very angry right and um how do you dissolve the anger so that you can reach their hearts
2: it does and so using a using a sort of process you know i've developed something called the dialogue roadmap. And the dialogue roadmap is has a foundation in nonviolent communication. It has a foundation in, in energy work. Mm. It has a foundation in our common humanity and opening our hearts. Mm. Um, uh, what I if I can show a human being that I'm interested in listening to them. So mm. I can't be an expert in your life. But what I can do is listen. Yeah. And if I use specific communication tools to deeply listen and, and authentically be with you, so I'm not hiding behind mm. professional distance. I am not an expert. I don't consider myself to be a professional. I don't keep notes on people. I'm meeting other people because when I meet you, I meet myself, okay? Mm-hmm. And I sit with people and we meet and I listen. Yeah. And when I listen to people and I understand, yeah. you know, people have been in the justice system. You've got to remember it isn't I, you know, I hurt somebody and then I went to court and I went to prison. They've been in this journey where oh. they've had to learn a whole new language. And they've... They've now suddenly gone from being human to being less than human. And all of that, in all Mm. of those processes, people lose their voice. And that's what creates the anger. The anger is not being understood, not being heard, not, Mm. you know, people telling you that we're shutting you down. And, you know, this happens in workplaces all the time. I mean, you know, who can tell the truth in any workplace? Seriously.
0: It's like that thing: bring your authentic self to work, right? That's yeah, Yeah, really the most dangerous thing to do, right? Yeah,
2: Yeah. absolutely. Uh, But
1: both of those things. I mean, being having open and I was I was just leading a workshop today, and one of our principles ways of working to have an effective conversation was to start with you know being honest or being having open conversation. But to do that, you've got to have a safe environment. To have a safe environment, you've got to invite listening. And if you're going to listen, then do it respectfully, assume positive intent, you know, so it builds, it builds, it builds, doesn't it? And and creating that environment where you can, what I heard, Maria, you describe is creating an environment where you're putting the responsibility into the community that actually needs that restorative justice approach, where they can own it, they can lead with it, they can actually... um, uh, own that responsibility and therefore be accountable for it as well. And in itself, that journey allows and enables um, for the need for mediation to reduce because actually we're resolving our own issues. We don't need to have conflict because we're – or
2: we've got conflict, but we know how to resolve it. We've got the tools. Well, what's interesting to me, and you know, where I have often come up against the system myself is – The people who the system believes cause all the problems and, you know, coincidentally, they often happen to be people of other cultural backgrounds. They happen to be, you know, they often happen to be different. Um, uh, They have the answers. They're the people we need to talk to. And that's always been my thing is domination culture one of the habits of domination culture is to pick a group of people and marginalise them. You see, it's how it stands on its thing and says, look, we're the greatest, you know, the British Empire, you know. Um, Mm -hmm. So so, and then because that's the indoctrination, we do it ourselves. So even if you go into a prison, you know, prisoners grade themselves and there are the lowest of the low. So, you see, the the thing is to always marginalise. But when you marginalise people, they might be um, using violence, but really what they're saying is, please let me back in. But they got no way to say that because vulnerability isn't allowed in a domination culture system. So they do things like smash the door down or, you know, create havoc. But they're really saying, let me back in. Um, And so, what I do is I go to those people and sit with them because they will come up with the answers. They know what's needed. Every single human being has all the medicine that they need inside them. We just don't have the dialogue, communication, and facilitation processes to draw that out Mm. and act on it. Mm. Powerful stuff that you're sharing, Maria. Really powerful. And so, it's such a shame. When you go into organisations and managers and business owners and you know whoever those people are put themselves under ridiculous amounts of pressure to defend themselves against people who literally just want to come in, do a job, not suffer too much, go home, feed their children, look after their families. I mean, that's the majority of the workforce, isn't it, not be discriminated yeah, against, it's, not yeah, feel I mean, the it's, yeah, oppression. And if you could just turn that around within boardrooms, you'd get much more than you're giving. And
1: and I think I think we'd agree, hundred percent with that, Maria. I mean, some of the work we've done and we do um, and we support. You know, it, it is about getting into the boardroom. It is about talking to those who govern. Those who set the policies, who set the intentions, set the strategic objectives, um, working with the exec C suite leaders, you know, uh, in terms of helping them develop so that they can create an environment that, that enables equity, you know, in the workplace. That requires, and, and the gap. You know, um, I mean, Shereen can tell you all about um, some of the work that Belonging Pioneers has been um, doing that I've, you know, I've been fortunate enough to be part of and, and support. And, and and i think i, I really like the phrase you said and i and i i wonder if we if, if we're able to borrow it <laughs> or just, you know, it's when i meet you i meet myself and you know i think that's such a powerful statement I, it's just stuck in my head that you know actually all this work we're doing collectively so maria in your world that you're doing in belonging pioneers world in my world where i i i, I do i do work um Around just organization, wider organization culture, um, supporting belonging pioneers, and, and some of the important work we do around intentional inclusion, anti racism, um, privilege, equ- you know, equal, uh, creating equitable environments, you know, balancing the scales, all of those things. It, what strikes me is that all of this work is about when I meet you, I meet myself.
0: Mm-hmm. It is. And I, saying
1: I'm... it, I feel this emotional tug. I have to say it. I just, Saying that just feels, it feels, you know, it's heart-led, isn't it?
2: So when you said you would like to borrow it, I really would love to be clear. You know, that's the way I phrase something, but I learned that from Indigenous people. Yeah. You know, and and the way they greet each other and the way, you know, I have touched my own humanity from sitting in those kinds of spaces. So by all means, Mm -hmm. borrow the phrase, but and you can say you've heard it from me but i you know it came from indigenous ways and i'm really i am such a believer in the fact that we need to get back to those indigenous ways because that's what's going to create the transformation
0: my goodness if we could all take on when i meet you i meet myself yeah um you would not have structural violence in organisations right if you think about um, all those organizations that have warehouses and people have to walk long distances and they can't go to the toilet uh because they they're timed um and the the oppression of that, you know, if I was a manager there and I or probably need to be more senior, if I could sort of think about, wow, well, what if I had to do that? What if I had to do that? What if I was driving an Amazon vehicle and and couldn't even go to a toilet? I had to carry something in the the van with me, right? Mm,
1: mm, mm. How would I? That's a fact. That is a fact. I I have somebody close to me who's had to experience that, yes.
2: Yeah. Yes, and And you see, well, how I see it is that – so the other thing about privilege – is that if I've got enough um, resources around me, I don't have to heal my childhood wounds. You see, I don't have to do the work because I just put more and more cushions around me. Yeah. But what you don't transform, you will transmit. Yes. So so what's happening is you're still meeting your other self, but you're meeting the unhealed. You're coming from the unhealed that wants to visit that yeah on others, that which was visited on you. And so for me, all I see in these kinds of situations that you described are people who have surrounded themselves in such a way, whether that's with a layer of people who only ever say yes, you know, Mm -hmm. who are so Mm -hmm. frightened, you know, that they, they, you know, but with some kind of level of cushion Mm. that they can visit that harm on others and watch it like a theatre. And it's really interesting to bring people out of that space. And for me, that's the real work. Yes.
1: I'm just thinking about it also as an organisation. So some of the clients, Ishreen, that we've worked with, you know, reflecting on some of the conversations we've had in the past, Um, around some of the challenges that have arisen you know from um, at the level of the board the level of the leadership and some of the pain that at an organization level they've experienced because they've been doing the work yes absolutely and and, and I wonder yeah and I wonder if you've got any anything around that you know any example or without naming obviously but you know the the this idea that you know we have to do the work, we have to face the pain. Yes. And to face the pain, we actually have to have the conversations. To have the conversations, you have to enable the space to do that yes. and give those, you know, translate, again, going back to the point of responsibility, yes. translating the responsibility into the workplace. So people own it. Yes. Well, the,
0: there are many aspects to that, Cami, right? So the first is where you've got an enlightened CEO, Mm -hmm. who does want to restore justice, who does want to move away from structural violence, Um, the culture, the systemic violence that's programmed into the culture of the organization fights against that, right? So the minute that an enlightened CEO stands for equity and inclusion, the staff who've been oppressed for so long Mm. think this is great and they go beyond the line right so their demands become unsustainable Mm. undeliverable, um and then the ceo has a number of ways they can respond to that right and maria what you said is what we essentially advocate is listening, right? So we run listening circles so that everybody can speak in a safe environment and really get out all that stuff that needs to be got out. And the effective CEO will hear that. They're not in the room when we do the listening circles, because obviously. Yes,
2: obviously. Yes, yes.
0: But when we feed back some of the findings um. You know, CEO could be defensive, CEO could roll over, CEO could take it all on their shoulders and think, oh, my God, I've got to do all this. You could, you know, try to overcompensate. But really, um, the the effective CEO will, will mediate
2: for him. Yeah, absolutely, and bring that dialogue yeah. out into the space, exactly. you know. Exactly. Um, and, and it's very hard to do because one has to admit that perhaps everything that went before wasn't as good as it could have been. Exactly.
0: Or even if you're a new CEO, I, mm. I found, you know, it's challenging um, because there is, first of all, if you're a new CEO, you've got to understand the hidden yeah. things first, right, and then try to mm. pose it. But, yes, yeah, so our coaching is very much on – The CEO being the coach, being the mediator, trying to find a rational way forward with compassion.
2: Absolutely. I completely get that. And then for me, you know, developing the dialogue roadmap has been about precision with language and accuracy. You know, that if I am going to speak from the heart and this is going to be quite different, is is Mm -hmm. making sure that message sent is message received, making sure that we're all on the same page about what Mm -hmm. we mean by these words. Because one of the biggest problems in organisations that I experience is well-meaning people who do grasp this stuff and do want to transform it and do perhaps with your help write better policies But watching how those policies get delivered and translated, and the people you know sitting up here in that boardroom have no idea of Mm. how warped and how off track it's become, and the way it's been translated because the people translated it are still sitting in their domination culture indoctrination. Yes, well that's. I, I remember. I remember my daughter who um who went to um a boarding school um which is a whole story in itself but um and not for this podcast but um she came home one day in her teens and said oh I figured it out she says I've realized why the junior staff are really horrible to us it's, they're horrible to us because they're more frightened of the head teacher than we are. I mm, thought, <laughs> yeah. like, well, yeah, absolutely. That's and we
1: see that in the workplace. We see yeah, that in the workplace. I am comparing it to,
2: because for those junior staff, that's a workplace. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I just thought, You're right. you, you've, you've named it, you see. And the, the, the head teacher who just wanted to make a really good school. He just wanted to make a really good school and he wanted mm. to provide the best education possible. Didn't necessarily agree with his strategies, to be honest, yeah. um, but he had no idea of how things were being delivered at that ground floor level.
0: Because people were too scared to tell him. Yeah, the things,
2: yeah. Right? Yeah.
0: yeah. That's one of the biggest challenges that our organisation yeah. faces, the, the leadership being safe enough and trusted enough for people to speak up
2: but the yeah. difference i call it the difference between being authoritative and authoritarian mm,
1: exactly you know
2: you know what you're what you're leading
1: into is is talking about um having having so putting on the organization culture hat on you you're talking about um Creating a creating a just culture approach in your organisation, having an approach to just culture environment, where where you're where you're not pointing the finger, where you're creating an environment where actually it's okay to fail, it's okay to um, fail because you're going to learn from it, because you're going to do better next time or improve or change something. And actually recognizing that actually the fault doesn't lie with the individual we're not pointing a sick finger at an individual but actually accepting as an organization that we have shared accountability on our processes our systems that as an organization we're accountable for creating an environment where these behaviors might show up where you know so we either we create an environment where the behavior works towards what you're saying pointing the finger creating blame creating a toxic environment or actually, we're creating an environment where, we're it's okay to to fail and fail fast and learn from it type thing. Yeah. So so and and that supports this idea of free, fair treatment, right? So it supports the idea of treating staff fairly, um, and and builds on you know Maria, Ishreem, both of you talked about listening. Builds on this idea that we are ready to listen. We are ready to not only listen, but to also listen effectively, meaningfully, heartfelt listening, um, and respond. And, and, I, and, I, and I, sorry, Shreen, yeah, responsibly. Yeah, and responsibly. Um, and I think I think this this everything you've talked about in terms of the need for. Um, this, this this idea of domination culture I really like the term that you've used Maria because we talk about majority culture we talk about um the dominant culture we talk about the dominant majority or but this idea that thinking about it in the context of that we've got this this idea that it's the do- dominant culture the domination culture that sets the compliance expectations mm. and if you're not compliant then something has to be wrong with you that's 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 how I've understood what you said
2: um
1: mm. And I, and I wonder how within, you know, organization culture, creating maybe a just culture approach or environment, um, we break some of those things down. You know, we're, we're, we're actively breaking down inequity, disparities and structural barriers. Um, but it's, it's being able to say no to the domination culture, right? It's, it's OK to not be compliant with the expectations that actually what would that even look like if we were to do things slightly differently or very differently? Can we say very differently, but differently? Yeah. So, you know, so it, move it just opens up another way to think about these things, I think.
0: Yeah, and it's really great. So, some of the things just to draw the threads together a little, what we're talking about in moving from structural violence to social justice at work is about moving from that domination culture to a just culture, which involves deep listening. Compassion, acting on what you've heard, building a culture, a just culture in which people feel safe and trust you when they speak up. And also, responsible leader, because you can't say yes to everything.
2: Absolutely.
1: So, really inspiring conversation. Thank you, Maria, for coming and joining us on this. And, you know, um, I, I see this. I see this as very much being part of an essential toolkit mm-hmm. for C-suite leaders in 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 the in the fight for social justice. We should be able to mm-hmm. say that in a positive way, um, moving towards equity, moving towards equitable workplaces. And you know, I definitely see mediation as a as an essential tool um, that can be owned by everyone in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Um, so amazing, amazing work you're doing. So just just an added bit of fun for for our, our audience, our listeners who will be um wanting to get to know you a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um and we've got these five quick fire questions. Sometimes they're not that quick, Maria, but you know, we <laughs> <laughs> they are. Um, Let's see where we go. And absolutely, absolutely. So, Ishreen, um, do you want to start us off? Yeah. I should- I
0: haven't got the questions in front of me, but my favorite question, Maria, is what's your favorite indulgence?
2: Oh, gosh, so many. Um, my, but my favorite indulgence, I think, has to be um, uh, connecting with my grandchildren who are live there from my son and my daughter. They're five and they're two, and breaking their parents' rules. <laughs>
0: and
1: oh, you love that, right? <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. <laughs> so, I, I, I think. Oh, oh I was just going to jump in there, Shreen. I think, I think you've shared, um, you know, some personal stuff, Maria, at the start of our, our yeah. talk today. <clears throat> but I wonder if there's a privileged story that has impacted you the most that you know comes to mind even may have sort of arisen as, as we've been talking you know has is there a privilege story that's impacted you the most that you're willing yes, to share Yes I think
2: um, you know so many and again we could you know write a book on it but um, uh, I think what came to me and I went with where you know what has what has had an impact on me and that was hearing that even today Native American children are something like five times more likely to go into care. Oh so, gosh. Ooh. Even today that's still happening. Mm, mm. Um, that's, that's, that's kind of actually, heartbreaking. it really is. It really
1: is. And, yeah. that, and um working with a working with a children charity um at the moment and one of the things I heard today in a workshop was you know it's hard to celebrate. Um, when we know there's so much work to do, Absolutely. Absolutely.:
0: Wow, oh, Maria. So um, we'd also love to know, who's inspired you the most to do what you do?
2: Um, well, I think you know, there's a, an endless list, because you, you know, I say that the universe, God, you know, whatever that higher power is, sends you messengers all the time. You've just got to be open to understand. Mm. Um, some of you bring you, some of them bring you the lessons in a more painful way than you would like to have learnt it. Um, but I have to say there are a couple of people I would like to sort of name definitely Marshall Rosenberg. Um, Marshall Rosenberg's work um in identifying and understanding social injustice. Maybe mm-hmm. not so much the NVC, you know, part of it, but his intentions around social change, for mm-hmm. me, just answered many questions at a time in my life when I didn't know where to get the answers from. Mm-hmm. So that that's really, but I think another person, as I said to you, because I'm quite new in this kind of journey in the last two or three years, um, I came across a lady called Althea Jones-LaQuant. And Althea Jones-LaQuant um, was one of the uh, uh, pioneers of the Black Panther movement in the UK. And um, she, mm. her patience and her love and her care as a black woman, able to sit with me in my ignorance and help me understand, moved me. Um, she was also part of something called the Mangrove Nine. And, um, you know, she she made a big difference in the court process where she represented mm. herself as a black woman. Um, and she was also a medical doctor who got um, sickle cell tests on the NHS. So she did two very different things. Anyway, she inspired me and her patients. I can see inspired. why. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely phenomenal human being. Um and then um, I think as a little-known person, my Reiki master who helped me on this path, her name's Barbara Ann, and she helped me on this path and led me into places that I would never knew existed. So, and see. then numerous other people. You know, my my team in Dartmoor Prison, they inspire me every day, you know, when we do email a prisoner and I hear of what they're doing and how they're doing it. Um, under the most terrible circumstances, um, mm. people that I've worked with, you know, I think I think that you know, meeting people inspires me. Lovely, beautiful. So, so
1: what are you reading at the moment that's inspiring you? We're talking about a lot of inspiration here. So, so what are yeah. you reading? Just, just what would you, what would you uh, um, propose to our audience that they the must, the one book they have to read. Oh no, I you. can't
2: I just can't do a one book, but what I'm really interested in at the moment is Rumi, the poet, the uh, oh, yes. Persian poet. Um mm. and I'm interested in um the real Rumi as opposed to some of the translations.
1: Mm. And
2: again, you see, we're in that area because there's a the most popular translations um don't have actually decidedly removed the Islamic content to make it more palatable. And Mm. so do we say, well, isn't it great that this is being brought to an audience, or do we say, well, actually, that's actually, you know, misappropriating a whole spiritual, misrepresenting a whole Mm. spiritual thing because people in the West aren't going to like the Islamic stuff. It's a very interesting, so I'm kind of interested in that topic and the messages that Rumi brings and trying to find what were the real messages beyond the translations. Beautiful. Oh,
0: you've been, that's a whole other topic we could speak yeah. on. on. Yeah. I, yeah.
1: I think I'll think i arrange for both of you to have a, 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 an offline conversation about that. I think that. so.
2: <laughs> I think I would love to, um, Ishrena. I'll be a fly on the wall. Yeah. I'll be a fly on the wall. Thank
1: you so much, Maria. Let's let's call it there. Uh, thank you. We really hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you for joining us. Our intention
0: is to bring you new insights about the impact of power, privilege and purpose at work for you and for your organisation.
1: You can check out our episode description for social media accounts and don't forget to send in your questions and you can send those to our email equitychampions at belongingpioneers.com. We look forward
0: to sharing more about power, privilege and purpose at work with you on this podcast. Now, if you got value, please remember to share it with your networks. Please leave us a review. And as Tammy said, please do remember to send us any questions that you'd like us to discuss on this podcast. And we'll see you next time. Next time. Bye.